You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Now, I preached my Father's Day sermon last week. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to hopefully encourage you as the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How about that? Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Listen, the church, the church of today can't afford to sit still. We see too many things going on in the world today that break our heart for us to be passive participants in the game. We need to get moving, church, and we need to get moving with power from on high. And I can't think of no better book to talk about power from on high than Acts, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Chapter one, if you will, turn there as you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. Chapter one, verse six through 11. Familiar text with a powerful message for us today. And here's the thing, why the church can't sit still. I think this passage will show us. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said... Men of Galilee, and here's the key for today, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Listen again, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why do you stand there? Why are you in neutral, church? The angels say, get going. Let's pray that that's what will happen. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us today because we can't afford to sit still. We need to be, Lord, on mission for you. Help us see that in your passage that you have for us here today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Listen, I believe that the church today needs to stand up for truth like never before. But we cannot stand up for truth if we're sitting still. We have to to get moving. We have to be a church in action, not just flailing our arms about, not just trying to look busy, but truly being moved by God to do great things for God. The Christian faith from the very first was a faith on the move. Here in this passage, we see the launching pad of our mission, but you'll notice here in this chapter that it's more than just about a mission, a great commission. It is a calling and a charge to be missional. We have a mission, but we need to be missional. You can have your mission statement on the wall at your place of business, but if you're not selling widgets and gadgets, what does it matter, right? We can have, and we do have, the best mission statement, which is the Great Commission, but we must be missional. We have to apply the concept of the Great Commission. That's what we see here in this passage today. From day one, the church has been called to share the glorious good news that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose from the grave to defeat death and to give us hope eternal. Amen? Amen. That's good news. 
And listen, when I turn on the TV and I don't turn it on very much, I'll occasionally watch news when I'm running on the treadmill because it makes me mad and I run faster. (laughs) That's about the only time I watch the news. In a world filled with fake news, bad news, terrible news, we need good news. And we have it. But we can't just sit still. We have a faith that tells us to go. We do not have a faith that says, come check it out. Come, come see what we're doing. Listen to how, how good the preacher is well, or not, or, or, or how good the music is. No, no, no. We don't want to be the church that says, come and see. We have to be the go and tell church. We have to be moving, not sitting. Friends, our faith needs to be a little bit more wild-eyed and enthusiastic. I don't think it is ever right for there to be a boring Christian. You have an eternal home. You have salvation. You have no reason to be static. You have every reason to be ecstatic, fired up. You know, I think about it, you know, I, it, it's easy for me sometimes, and Johnny's gonna laugh over here, to get in Dr. Muniz's you know, professor mode. Listen. I can teach you all day, but what you don't, a lot of you know, know the Bible well, but what you don't have is the fire. I need to put a 4th of July firecracker in your seat. <laughs> you need to get fired up, frozen, chosen, all that nonsense. We need to get moving. We need to thaw because the living water isn't frozen. It's flowing. We need to be flowing for Jesus and going and growing. We need to be wild-eyed and enthusiastic. The church dies when it sits still. Just like a fish in the water has got to move to get oxygen. We need to move. We need to go. We need to be. Don't, 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 church. Don't get stuck. We need to realize that even today as we're looking at this passage, which is so uh, it's incendiary, it, it, it should fire us up. But what we need to do as we hear it, we need to internalize this word and realize that we need to utilize it. We internalize and then we utilize. We internalize these truths, but we can't let them stay inside. We utilize them to propel us, to move us forward. Because if we're not moving forward again, the gospel doesn't go out. This passage shows the disciples, the apostles, they are gazing and in, in danger of not going. But listen, the apostolic faith can't be a gazing faith. It has to be a going faith. And that's what we're going to learn today. Let me just say, the church today so often does not look like what we see in the book of Acts. And we just need to, we need to lament that. We need to mourn. And the reason why, the reason why I think we see in this passage, we see the temptations in this passage, and, and, it's, and it's not as overt as, as I would like it to be, but I think it is here. I think we see the reasons why the church today doesn't look like this. I, I, see, I see warnings here, and I hope the church will listen. The first warning is this. We are called to build a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. One of the great temptations in the church today is to confuse our mission and to think that success is is success as defined by the world with more money and more buildings and more power and influence and authority. All those things apart from the Holy Spirit mean nothing. 
Now, look at these verses, verses 6 and 7 in particular, and you'll see that the disciples, now apostles, still don't understand Jesus. You can spend time with Jesus, but he is so rich and so deep and so true that you can spend time with Jesus all your days and still not understand all there is to know about Jesus. How do I know this? Well, these guys spent three years with him, sitting at his feet, and they still missed the primary mission. Jesus had said from the beginning, remember back a hundred years ago, church, when we were in the gospel of Mark chapter one together, it's like a hundred years ago, it feels like. Remember this verse, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, Jesus said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. From the beginning, Jesus was not building a kingdom on earth, but he was building the kingdom of God. That's how he started his whole preaching ministry. Now look at this. Anytime I get a little bit discouraged about the lack of understanding in the church, I look at the disciples and apostles and I am encouraged. <laughs> because we're not the only ones that ain't getting it. Look at this. So when they come together, they said to Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's the dumbest question ever. This guy just rose from the dead. Don't you got better questions to ask him? Okay, now, all right, now um, you're going to be the king. You're, you're going to be the one that, that leads the armies of Israel to victory, right? That's what we're going to do, right? <laughs> no, no. At the Last Supper, these men were brokenhearted. Why? Because they couldn't understand a Messiah marked by humility rather than glory and power. And now that he's defeated death, they figure he's got the glory and the power, and they're right. But what they're wrong about is the nature of the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom. That's what the church was missing at the beginning, often, and it's what's missing today. The church has never been weaker when it's been richer. When the church has had the most resources, it's had the least spiritual power. And the reason why is because when we have more stuff, we forget about the Holy Spirit. When we have comforts, we're not challenged. We're trite instead of true. We're weak instead of warriors when we have things going our way. Some of us are lamenting the state of things in the world today, and I'm here to tell you, I lament them too, but I am praying that the pain will lead the church to become the powerful church she can be. Don't complain about current events because these are the current events that God will use to bring revival in our country. The pain and the suffering that we see in our culture is an open door to the glorious gospel. Yes. Let's embrace that. Instead of complaining, someone said this morning to me, yeah, like five weeks in a row, I've been hard on Facebook. Well, let's just make it six. <laughs> Social media, we're complaining about the state of the world. That's, that's true. We spend a lot of time talking about politics and power structures, but listen to me. We need to spend three to four times more talking about the gospel. For every time you talk politics, have three times you talk about Jesus. Please, church. It's not about this world. It's about souls. We are called to share the message of the kingdom of God. 
And I want to say this, I love my country, but every single one of you as an eternal being with a soul, you will last longer than the United States. There is no nation on earth more, more special than you because all those nations have a shelf life and will burn up in the end, but you can live forever with God. That makes you infinitely more valuable and powerful in God's eyes. The kingdom is about souls. It's not about power structures. It's not about politics. I'm going to say this, and I hope you'll take it with the little grain of salt that I intend it to be. Otherwise, send your emails and I'll ignore them. But um, (laughs) it's funny. Look at verses six and seven. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Let me put that in modern political parlance. Here's what they're saying. God, Jesus, are you here to make Israel great again? Now, I don't know if they had red hats. I don't know if that's the case. But do you see? I mean, I'm not trying to make light of this, but they're really thinking no differently than people would think today about making America great again. They want Israel to be great again. They want it to be a great nation. But listen, I'm glad we have a great nation, but we have an even greater God. And what we want to do is take the advantages and the freedoms we have in this nation so that we can take God, not just to our neighbors, but to the nations. That's the beauty of America. You see, the kingdom Jesus reigns over is one where hurting souls find healing and where broken lives find hope. The currency of our kingdom is, and God's kingdom is love and it brings hope and life wherever its armies march. Verse seven tells us it's not for us to know when the end will come. It's not for us to know how God is gonna work out his kingdom on earth. Look at that, verse seven. Quit worrying about things that Jesus says don't worry about. Jesus tells us to worry about our neighbors who are lost and dying in sin. Those who are apart from the Lord need the gospel. Friends, our vision of God's kingdom is too small because it's too physical. Because we try to make it here on earth. I love the fact that we have a a renovated building over here. But let me just say this. The Lord has taught me in this last year that we are not going to be great by having the best facilities in town. We will only be great when we get serious about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with having new buildings and renovate things. I think it it honors God to do it. If you don't believe that, read about all the care that went into the temple. God does care about beautiful things. He does want us to celebrate him and worship in beautiful ways. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not the main focus. The main focus is the kingdom of God. Now, the second thing that we see in this passage that could challenge us to not sit still is this idea. We are called to share Jesus in hard places. Look at verse eight. Verse eight is, is one of those, like, it's like with John three sixteen. It's a very well-known verse. It is a restatement of the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's brilliant and it's beautiful and it's simple. Um, but there's something that I think we miss. Look there as, as we hear these words. I want you to focus on this. Notice it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but my mind kind of works in terms of geography when I read that verse, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, are you following me? Ends of the earth. But if I were one of the disciples, I don't think I would have heard Judea, Samaria, uttermost. The only thing I would have heard in that sentence was Jerusalem. What just happened a few days before in Jerusalem? 
Jesus had been crucified. Were those enemies of the early church, did they move on to other places, to greener pastures? Where were they? They were in Jerusalem. St. Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, a Greek church father, he says very clearly, he says, the place of greatest fear is where the apostles must first preach. Jerusalem is the nearest place and it's the hardest place. And I think many of you will agree with me when we think about missions, sometimes it's easier to think about preaching the gospel on the other side of the world than sharing the gospel with our next door neighbor. The hardest place is where Jesus is calling us first. And I wish that I could tell you that America was fertile ground for the gospel, but today because of America's comforts, today because of America's callousness, this has become one of the hardest places on earth to share the gospel. You don't need to be challenged by going across the ocean. You are challenged right here in this culture to stand up for Jesus. He has called us to a hard place, but listen to me, there has never been an age in the church when we weren't called to go into hard places. This world is in rebellion against God, and that's the way it is. But we don't have to worry about it if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Familiar places are hard places to share. But look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Did you hear that? A Baptist don't know how to say amen on that one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's Acts 2 and following. And we're in the and following. We have this power. The Christian witness always has been and always will be powered by the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm not challenging you to try harder. I'm not asking you to think more. I'm asking you to surrender your mind and your heart to the Holy Spirit of God. Because when people get saved, it's not because you and I are the cleverest people in town. People get saved when the Holy Spirit speaks through your voice. Some of the worst sermons I've ever preached and some of the worst witnessing moments I've ever had were the ones where people got saved. I think in the book of Numbers, you know, God used a donkey, right? He doesn't need much. And here I stand. (laughs) He doesn't need much, but he does need a heart. He needs a heart like yours, filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't lead people to Jesus unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember this, the Great Commission is not powered by human energies at all, but by divine energy. Illustration of the point. Chapter two, we know the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. By the fourth and fifth chapter of the book of Acts, you have guys that were running scared, running strong. You have guys that were afraid of their own shadow going up against the darkness of the devil himself. How's that happen? Did they just think a little more positively and try a little harder? No, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Power will come, power did come, power will come to us as well. You see, the kingdom is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing, but it's also a hard thing to preach, but we don't preach it in our own power. We preach it in the power of God. That's what Paul says. And when we get this, when we understand and realize that the power to witness is in God, we are then unstoppable. But the church has been stopped in its tracks because it's been trying too hard to do it in human power. 
Romans 1.16, we know it too. It's another one of those famous verses. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We all, we all know that one. And we, we use that one to make people feel bad about not witnessing, right? You're not witnessing enough. You're ashamed of the gospel. But what we don't often do is read the rest of the verse, which says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. What we forget is we, we need to witness, but the power of salvation comes through the gospel is, is something that the Holy Spirit orchestrates through us. It is the power of God. Can everyone be saved? Yes. By the power of the Holy Spirit, can anyone be saved by Jeremy's power or your power? No. None of us have the power to save, but we all can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be vessels of evangelism. That's what God has called us to do. And even in hard places. Acts 1-8 is really just a table of contents for the rest of the book. It's not so much about a geographical statement. It's really, it really is the, the table of contents. It tells us exactly how the gospel is going to go. And by the end of the book, the end of the 28th chapter, you see Paul reaching into the far uttermost regions of the Roman world, out where the barbarians lived, where most of your ancestors were at the time. See, it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it, that you're one of the barbarians? Yeah. I'm going to leave that alone. I've got a lot of things to say there, and I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave that alone. It's not an easy job. It really isn't. But it's one that we're called to do. This morning in my study, the Lord spoke to me and said, the church is never going to have enough money. The church is never going to have enough volunteers. The church is never going to have enough smart people trained at Ivy League and Oxford and Cambridge type universities. We're never going to have enough, but we will always have the Holy Spirit. And that's all we need. The church is not going to have all those worldly advantages because we don't need them. We have the spirit of Christ. And that brings us to our last point. How is it that we can uh, move forward, not remain seated and standing still? Well, verses 9 through 11, the end of our, our passage here show us that. And we have a resurrection hope moving us forward. This is our last point. These are not perfect men, these apostles. I've already made that plain. But when the Holy Spirit got a hold of them, though they were not perfect, they were motivated. They had a power within them greater than the power of nuclear fission, fusion or whatever it is. They, they had power, great, great power. And that power was the resurrected Christ. They saw a man that they had walked with for three years who'd been nailed to a cross, laid in a tomb, and he had rose again. There's an old hymn that came to my mind when I was thinking about that. Nothing is impossible for God. And I, I, that, that hymn didn't exist back then. I know some of you think those hymns were sung by the apostles. Come on. Anyway. But if they had that song, they'd been singing that song because it's true. You know that if God can raise a dead man up, he can do anything. And I want you to know that a culture that is dead in sin and trespasses, it can be saved by the same resurrection power. Working through simple men and women of faith like you and me. That's what God has called us to do, is to believe in the impossible. He wants to do a great work. He descended and he ascended. But 
All of this was that he might fill or fulfill all things. We are told in Ephesians chapter four, verse 10. God is going to work. He's gonna move. He wants to work through us. Listen, you need Jesus. And if a person doesn't have Jesus, they're missing what's most essential for the human soul. You see, the reason why the culture today is at war with itself is because human souls can't be at perfect peace if they don't have the Prince of Peace dwelling within them. When you turn on the news and see a world on fire, just realize that where every one of those fires burn, it's because the fire of the Holy Spirit is not burning there in those hearts. And the only way to fix this is not a political solution. There is no solution that is human. It is only in Christ. Now look at this passage again. The church, I'm afraid, often is guilty of just looking into heaven, standing still, but we can't stand still when we have the hope of resurrection life to share. Again, we see the disciples, these men who, one, they didn't understand the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. They were afraid and called to go to a scary place. And then when they see Jesus ascend into heaven, instead of getting right on the job, they're sitting there like this. If ever there was an analogy for the church today, if the angels were here today, they would say the same thing, why are you sitting still? You've got this wonderful message, this incredible hope, and you're just sitting still. I wish I could motivate you. I'm pretty sure I can't. But I am positively sure, I am 100% certain that the Holy Spirit getting a hold of your heart will make all the difference. The early church didn't have much, but they had the one thing that most churches today are sorely lacking, and that is the Holy Spirit's continual presence. Will you, will you, Ask God to move in this way because the angels, well, they're saying go. What are we waiting for? You know, Ridgecrest Baptist Church has been greatly blessed. A lot of the resources that it takes to, to make ministry happen, we've, we've had those advantages. And I believe to the glory of God, we've been able to use those advantages for the kingdom's sake. But I want you to know that even if we had met our budget and exceeded it by a million dollars, even if we had 90% participation rates with our ministry, our volunteers, it wouldn't matter if we didn't have the Holy Spirit guiding the whole thing. We can have the best buildings in town. We can try to compete with James River Assembly if we want to. We can, we can have the biggest and the best. We could have all those things and we could have nothing, spiritually speaking. The kingdom of God is not bricks and mortar. It is spirit and truth, brothers and sisters. And I'm gonna tell you, there's, there's a part of me that's always tempted to say, what do we need to do to attract more people? And every time I ask that question, I just, I, I hear that still small voice and God says to me, you need to preach the gospel and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I'll do the rest. Church, why don't we just make a covenant one with another that that's what we're going to do and we're not going to try to try to out clever the cleverest that are out there but we're going to submit ourselves fully to the power of God he will motivate us think about these things as we walk out church are we letting our vision of God's kingdom 
be as eternal as God's spirit? You see, the problem is, is too much of our vision of the church is physical and not spiritual. Church, are we willing to be fearless for God? Are we willing to go to the hardest places, which may be just over the fence in our backyard? And finally, when's the last time anybody saw any passion in your heart for the resurrected Christ? You can look and stare up in the skies all day long and say, I'm going to go up there one day. I'm going to be in heaven one day. I think the angels are saying, well, not yet. Get to work. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.